to Kyle's internal monologue. In this episode, we're going to be covering the Babylon 5 Season 3 episode, Matters of Honor. Uh, this is the opening of Season 3. Uh, it's a good opening. I don't think it's the strongest opening of the series, uh, but it is relatively good opening. Uh, it furthers a lot of the plot lines that have been going forward uh, and really shows just how tense things are getting. Uh, and I think this is seen no more spectacularly than in the change of theme song. The Each season so far, and continuing on, will have a different theme and a different intro sequence. And this is what I call the Drums of War season. Uh, like, war hasn't officially been declared. Uh, you know, it's Cold War right now heating up and there's just this overwhelming sense of doom in the theme song and in that intro sequence it just it, it kind of envelops you and puts you in that kind of mood uh and th things are heating up in the actual story as well um the, uh, we finally have the formation of the Babylon 5 War Council at the end of this episode uh, which it shows that uh, while while this is a cold war, it's not hot yet. There's been no active firing, you know, no shot actually fired. It's heating up. Things are getting really tense. As it is, the shadows just made a play to wipe out the Rangers in one fell swoop. They nearly succeeded to, and getting into it, the entire situation with the shadow ship and Sheridan and how he takes out the shadow ship this is the first time they've ever went against anything like this this is the first time hell we're, we're in the third season and this is the first time anyone has actively faced a shadow ship and survived to tell the tale we have been seeing what the shadow ships can do back in season one we were witnessed to the sheer amount of destruction they can incur but it's here, it's here where we we are really seeing what it takes to take one down. I mean, Sheridan pulls out, you know, pulls out of his ass a plan, basically. <laughs> Ivanov even calls it the bonehead maneuver. Uh, to open a, uh, a jump point within a jump gate, massive explosion. And that's what it took to destroy the shadow ship. Just think about that for a second. That was insane luck. And that was Sheridan thinking on his feet and smartly too. Uh, this ultimately uh, feeding into the Cold War mentality is a war of information. Uh, anything the enemy doesn't know but you know means that you're in control. Knowledge is power. It is just a smart way, I think, from, uh, from a writing standpoint to really convey the fact of just how hard this war is going to be just how grueling it's going to be oftentimes in fiction you'll introduce this thing and it'll be the big awful horrible thing doomsday-esque but once we've seen it enough times and we've defeated it enough times eventually it becomes to the point that it's almost too normalized it's not uh it's not as scary as it used to be uh, and as a result, the, it kind of becomes cannon fodder, and we have to introduce an even more bigger threat. You know, that kind of thing. It's escalation. 
And Babylon 5 is the perfect example of how to do that correctly. And the fact that there is no sense of escalation, there's no sense of uh, anything of the, that regards the shadow ships, we have been seeing them for three seasons now. We have seen the destructive capabilities, and not only the destructive capabilities still shown in full, you know, full power here, but also just the sheer amount of difficulty it takes to even take one out shows that just because we've seen them for three years at this point doesn't mean that we're we're artificially weakening them or they've become too normalized to us the viewer because they shouldn't be they should be scary that's what they are so really good uh, on the way escalation works um uh, along with the entire taking out the shadow ship thing um i i love the parallels that we do to uh the the black star because not only is the ship uh, Sheridan is captaining is the White Star, which I, I just want to mention the White Star. Um, yes, the CGI on it is a bit dated uh, and it, it definitely doesn't look the greatest uh, in regards to texturing, but it's actually a really cool design. Uh, I like that it's a mix of Mimbardi and Vorlon uh, technology, and we see that it looks incredibly elegant, but packs a punch, and that there's nothing that small that has been designed with, with exactly those capabilities before, and just everything about it is uh is really cool like the the babylon 5 white star version of a view screen from star trek where it's literally a hologram that comes down wonderful stuff i i wonder just how much of a visual effects budget that costs just to do um and i i'm, I'm sure it put a great strain on actually filming the thing but it looks really cool uh i i just think the white stars are always been a really cool design uh and, and they're just uh very very elegant looking but w w one thing i do like uh about the white star and the black star and the shadow ship thing is that it it, it, it is quite literally the black star all over again uh last episode of the season two finale we were reminded of the Black Star by uh, Ivanova giving uh, Sheridan a uh, piece of it and saying, you proved that the impossible was possible, basically. And going up against the Shadow Ship, everybody is warning him, you know, don't do this. This is suicide. This is insane. And he's like, with respect, I've heard that before. Uh, the only reason they get out of this is because Sheridan thinks outside the box. He's an incredibly smart commander, not only tactically um, and diplomatically, but also with the way he is willing to try things. Um, and and he proves that the impossible is possible. I mean, the bonehead maneuver, as Vodova calls it, was something that the humans had attempted and tested in uh, in, in war college, basically. Uh, during the Earth Bimbari War, and it was just seen as this stupid idea, and no one would do it. But who does it? Sheridan, and he proves it's not only possible, uh, but it's quite effective. And we already saw kind of a uh, an attempt at that in the previous season. 
the the battle of gorosh 7 or whatever uh the the battle in which jakar's uncle gets killed uh we we get uh we, we see them opening up a jump point and the shadows close it and closing it on them causes a massive explosion which kills them uh so we knew that collapsing a jump point is effective uh is it can be an effective weapon uh, and now we see Sheridan trying it. Uh, we get the introduction of Marcus in this episode. Uh, Marcus is a, uh, major player in the coming seasons. I love him. I think he's great. One of the great things about him is that he is a character who has lost a lot. Um, they, we get some hints of his backstory about his brother and, uh, you know, uh, him feeling responsible and him becoming a ranger to honor him. And he's lost a whole lot and he's a bit pessimistic in a way. There's a nice uh, conversation between him and Ivanova where the, they talk about how they joined the respective military organizations out of a sense of duty and guilt and loss over what had happened with their respective families. But Marcus does not let what he has lost define him entirely. Yes, it defines why he joined the Rangers and why he believes in what he believes in. But he's still an not only an honorable man, but a chipper man as well. Uh, and he's, he's incredibly prepared for everything as a result of what he's lost. He wants to make sure that he never has to go through that loss again. He's almost Batman in the way he, uh, the, the way, the way he over prepares for things. Uh, but he is an incredibly fun character and he's kind of that witty roguish type character. Uh, and so he, he he's he's sort of a mix of multiple archetypes, and he, he's just played expertly, and I love him, and we'll be getting a lot more of him as we go on. He's kind of the main ranger of this series, uh, and I'm just happy to have him. Uh, if only he was introduced last season and we could have replaced uh, Warren Keffer with him, because Warren Keffer was a boring new character, whereas... Uh, Marcus is a wonderful new character. There's a subplot that runs through this episode about uh, uh, a Mr. Ndawi, who is going and interviewing the various ambassadors about the Shadow Ship, because obviously uh, Warren Keffer's recording of the Shadow Ship leaked out to the press, and we're left in doubt what exactly... Uh, his stance on the shadow stuff is. We know that he doesn't. He isn't quite in the know about the shadows, but we're not sure if he's in league with Clark or not. And from stuff he says, the Earth, er, you know, EarthGov is basically spinning the story that oh, we know exactly what's going on. All this stuff, you know, first contact protocol, blah 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 blah. Uh, and they're using it as sort of a way to sweep everything under the rug and say, you know, do not pay attention to the man behind the curtain kind of thing. And in actuality, they're spinning the reels. They have no idea what the hell's going on, kind of. Uh, that leads into the end of this episode. But, uh, uh, 
he goes and he interviews the various ambassadors and uh londo's one is very interesting uh we had seen way back in coming of shadows this prophetic vision that londo had and as we, as mentioned back in the first season centauri have uh prophetic dreams almost of uh of certain things and so uh he he saw his own death and he knows that jakar is going to be the one to kill him we've known that since the very first episode and here we come to find out that that vision that we saw that he saw in coming of shadows has to do with uh the the uh basically the invasion of centauri prime uh, that basically uh, he sees sometime in the future these ships, which he doesn't know the shadow ships. We do, though. Uh, and that leads into a discussion he has with Morden, which I'll get into in a minute. That uh, there's, you know, there was so many, they blotted out the sun. And and and, and Dawi seems really confused by this. And is like, you, know, you saw this as a dream? How can I take you seriously? Is that it? In the way Londo goes, it is enough, shows that he's really bothered by what he saw in his vision. Uh, and that's the moment that we can really see Londo starting to place, you know, the, the pieces of the puzzle together and starting to really understand what the hell's going on here. Uh, which I'll get back to in a minute once I'm done talking about Endowee. Endowee goes to talk to uh jakar and jakar is relieved someone's finally listening to him because he's been mentioning pretty much since season one late season one about an ancient enemy and uh we know that the book of jaquan mentions the shadows and we see that the shadow ships are pictured and talked about and described in the the book of jaquan and it mentions that uh that thousand years ago uh this this race that took little interest in the Narns because they were primitive to them, uh, settled on a far island, uh, you know, and uh, it was speculated by the Narn of the time that they were waging a war uh, and no one quite knew what was going on. And it, it, it it's not a spoiler for me to say this idea that the, the shadows... Uh, were here uh, and were uh, and, and are repeatedly mentioned in the Book of Chacon, as we already know, it's going to become super important. And he is relieved someone's listening to him. And Ndawi, when he gives his report at the end of the episode, does mention he's not sure if it has any relevance, but it may be important to at least mention it, that these things were mentioned a thousand years ago in the Narn, in sort of the Narn holy book. And the end of the episode is when we find out Indawi was not in it, uh, and, and the, the woman he hands the paper to, or, you know, the report to, kind of sets it off to the side, and then in enters a Psychop and Mr. Morden. So now we know the Clark regime, the Clark administration, is in league with Mr. Morden and his associates, that being the shadows, and they most definitely, if they couldn't be trusted already, most definitely cannot be trusted now. And the Psycop even recommends using this to further their own goals. 
they're they're attempting, uh, as we well know, to sort of, uh, in, you know, enact uh, fear and prejudice amongst the uh, the humans. And, you know, it's the shadow way of divide and conquer, as we've already seen with them capitalizing on the Centauri and uh, Narn conflict. And in that, we get this idea that, oh, well, if we can spin this as a planetary defense issue, we can further spark the, the xenophobia within Earth. Uh, and we see that all of Indawi's efforts to get answers about the Shadow Ships meant nothing. That it's just being used to twist and turn. And, of course, poor, poor Jakar. Finally, someone listened to him. Finally, someone paid attention to the Book of Jaquan and knows about the, uh, the old enemy, the ancient enemy. And, of course, the person hands it over to, uh, to said ancient enemy so all all his you know a talk went for naught you can't help but feel sorry for Jakar everything's just going wrong for him uh but the Londo side of things this is this is interesting because we knew that he was starting we, we knew that he was starting to get a bit concerned with the way things were going with Mr. Morden and we see we, we heard him talk about way back in the long twilight struggle this is the last time i call upon them no more you know for now on we do it ourselves you know because he's starting to grow fearful of just how powerful mr borden and his associates are and now we see in this episode he's taking steps to distance himself from mr morden and he frames it all in this we Centauri must you know claim the glory are for ourselves he frames it in sort of this Centauri mask mindset that he ha he's had going uh, for the past couple episodes but it's not really about that it's more you fucking scare me get the hell out and then Mr. Morden in his classic sort of uh, mob uh, mo you know, a mob leader, gang leader mentality is like, just one more favor. You know, I've helped you out enough. Maybe you should help me out. And that's when he comes back and he veils everything he does in that negotiation with Londo as a threat, basically. That, okay, you, uh, the, the Centauri are free to take this part of the galaxy, this half of the galaxy is ours, do not touch it, except for this one planet, which of course is Zagros 7, which is where the rangers are, we have a vested interest in it, blah 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 blah, of course he doesn't expose what was going on, and then he's like, uh, and Londo's like, oh, I'll make provisions to ensure that you guys get that planet, now please be off, and he's like, oh, no need, I just was informing you, I've already went to talk to Lord Rifa. And the way he says it, just matter-of-factly, catches Londo by surprise. Because Morden has been expecting this. And he is now taking favors from Lord Rifa. And as we well know, as I've talked about, Lord Rifa is young, he's brash, he's an idiot. 
he's he he's a young person who doesn't see the consequences of his own actions unlike Londu who has the wisdom and experience that comes with age and Rifa is also far more zealous than Londo and he's going to use Mr. Morden and his associates to do far worse things than Londo ever could and we know now Morden has been dealing over Londo's head. Londo thought he had control of the situation, and it spiraled out from underneath him. Uh, and one final note before I check out here is that opening scene between Kosh and Sheridan. Notice Kosh plays everything as mysterious, as um, almost not a threat exactly, but kind of at the same time. It's 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 a nuanced interaction with so few words. Kosh made the conscious decision to save Sheridan. Whether that was a good thing or a bad thing is up in the air. Obviously, I would say it's a good thing. But it caused consequences that have fallen through, such as the shadows making themselves public. And this war that was very cold is starting to have its ice melted and starting to heat up all as a result of Kosh doing this one action and Sheridan is trying to figure out why he did it and try and think him and it, it, and Kosh answers in few words and you know he, he's in Sheridan he makes mention you know that you know this kind of behavior makes people uh, uncertain of the Vorlon, almost scared of the Vorlon, and, and Kosh's only reply is, good. Once again, as I've been mentioning the past couple episodes in regards to the Vorlon, can we really trust them? Are they really that nice? Or are these your classic angel figures? Or are, are these your classic angel figures? Or are they something more deceptive? Is something darker lingering in that you know, bask of light they release. You know, is there something hidden underneath the surface when it comes to them? Uh, I like how these doubts are being planted in us uh, so that we can really question the status quo uh, that has been set up. Uh, That's what Babylon 5 is good at. Establishing mystery, uh, challenging the status quo, going its own way. But uh, thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next time. Bye.